Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 713 of the podcast and it is Saturday the 9th of September 2023 as I record this in a late heat wave here in the UK so I'm recording this pretty early (laughs) because of course in the UK we don't usually have air conditioning so it gets pretty hot in here. So in today's show, I'm talking with Joanne Phillips about writing and producing audio drama. We go through all the steps and the challenges and also talk about marketing audio specific products. Now, I love this discussion as audio drama fascinates me. I've written several screenplays and I've thought of adapting those into audio drama and I would like to write one at some point. It's one of the things on my sort of creative bucket list. And if you are at all interested in doing audio products, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, you will enjoy the discussion coming up in the interview section. So in publishing and book marketing things, well, there has been only one thing dominating the author sphere this week, which is Amazon KDP's new section for AI-generated content, which now appears when you publish a new book or edit an older book. And I'm, as I said, I'm recording this at the beginning of September. And even though this only came out uh, yesterday as I record this, they've already changed the text. So I'm going to read what it says now. So I'm going to read what it says now, but it may well have changed by the time you listen to this. So make sure you check. Uh, Okay, so when you publish a new book or edit an older book, there's a new section and it says... Amazon is collecting information about the use of artificial intelligence AI tools in creating content. So that's the first thing. It says Amazon is collecting information. So this information will be used uh, by Amazon. So that's something to remember. There is a link around the definition. We define AI-generated content as text, images or translations created by an artificial intelligence-based tool You agree to adhere to our KDP content guidelines as part of the terms and conditions of your participation in the KDP self-publication and distribution program. Uh, I'll read more of that in a minute. But then there is a question. So the first thing is a question. Did you use AI tools in creating text, images and or translations in your book? Yes or no? So clear yes or no. If you click yes, there is a further section with separate selections for text, images, translations. And then again, you can choose even further from none. So, for example, if you use some for text, but not images and translations, you can you can mix and match, basically. So, so I've seen people sharing screenshots on Facebook and social media going, it's just a yes or no. Well, it's not. It's much more granular than that, which is really good because I actually think this is a very good way to do it. Um, I'll talk more, but just to describe it. So if you click yes... You can choose for each of those things, text, images and translations, none, some sections with minimal or no editing, some sections with extensive editing, 
entire work with minimal or no editing, entire work with extensive editing. Then there's some boxes you can type in the names of the programs you're using. So I am, as ever, absolutely open and honest about my use. So I went in and even though I don't have to, I've updated my older books. So with A Demon's Eye, for example, uh, I went in, I selected text and image because it also includes the cover and I selected uh, some sections with extensive editing. Uh, But for the cover of With A Demon's Eye, it was minimal editing because basically the whole picture. So I went in, selected that, saved, and nothing bad happened. (laughs) It didn't blow up. Who's to say? I mean, it may do, but I don't think it will. I'll carry on. Okay, so these are the content guidelines at the time of recording. Our link's in the show notes. So we require you to inform us of AI-generated content, text, images, or translations when you publish a new book or make edits to and republish an existing book through KDP. AI-generated images include cover and interior images and artwork. So even if you use one image on your cover and then make a composite cover, you need to click yes. You are not required to disclose AI-assisted content. We distinguish between AI-generated and AI-assisted content as follows. AI-generated. We define the AI-generated content as text, images or translations created by an AI-based tool. If you used an AI-based tool to create the actual content, whether text, images or translations, it is considered AI-generated, even if you applied substantial edits afterwards. So even though personally I define myself as AI-assisted, they're really even someone like me who does partial things and makes substantial edits, they're defining that as AI-generated. I kind of disagree with that, but it is a sliding scale. AI-assisted. If you created the content yourself and used AI-based tools to edit, refine, error check, or otherwise improve that content, then it is AI-assisted. So this would be if you use ProWritingAid or Grammarly, which are AI-based tools, then you are AI-assisted. You don't have to tell them. Similarly, if you use an AI-based tool to brainstorm and generate ideas, but ultimately created the text and images yourself, this is AI-assisted. So if you use ChatGPT or Claude or whatever to just brainstorm, do ideas, but then you write all the text yourself or do your own entire set of images, then you don't need to tell them. You are responsible for verifying that all AI-generated and or AI-assisted content adheres to content guidelines. For example, to confirm an AI-based tool did not create content based on copyrighted works, you're required to review and edit any AI tool outputs. Okay, so for me, this is, uh, for example, the mid-journey paid professional terms of service includes a commercial license to use those images and that's fine basically Um, but yeah so essentially I think this is great I think this is a really good thing but the response has been very noisy (laughs) there is outrage on both sides of the extremities of the AI debate Firstly, uh, there's the anti-AI crowd saying, great, now everyone who uses AI tools will have their accounts banned and we can get rid of all this stuff and it will be really good for everyone. Uh, And then on the other side, there's the pro-AI camp worried that Amazon is going to ban their account because they're using AI tools. And then there's other people who are like, hey, 
everyone, this is just a data grab. So uh, don't worry about it. But remember, all this stuff is data going into Amazon's own language models. So I started reading comments and then it just got sort of crazy. So I logged off social media. I suggest you do the same (laughs) as ever. (laughs) Read the details and make your own opinion. So what am I doing? So as I said, uh, I've always been open about my use of AI tools here on the podcast and the blog and anywhere else I talk about it. I also have a statement of AI usage in the back of all the books where I have used various different types of AI tools. So in the last 18 months, every single thing I've published has a statement of AI usage. I also have a prominent label on the few AI narrated audiobooks I have, although mostly I narrate my own now. So I already tell everyone and have always encouraged transparency. After all, I'm proud of being an AI-assisted artisan author. Go back and listen to that episode. I did a whole episode on what is an AI-assisted artisan author. Uh, If you want more details on how I use AI, that's episode 690 back in May 2023. I'll link it in the show notes or just scroll back through the feed. The episode is actually called uh, The AI-assisted artisan author. Now, I love using AI tools. It makes my life a lot more fun, a lot easier. And I'm mainly using Claude.ai as well as ChatGPT as a creative co-pilot. I do a lot of brainstorming, a lot of um, help with just doing things more quickly, uh, also writing ad copy, doing sales descriptions. Uh, I have used Um, not so much outlining, but helping me with plot details, all kinds of things. So there's lots of things that I use these tools for. They're very good for lists. Lists are amazing. So for example, you can say, I've got this characters in this situation, give me 20 ways they can get out of this or 20, 20 things that could happen next, that kind of thing. So I've talked about all this before, but essentially I'm not ashamed of using the tools. I don't see why anyone is. Uh, And I've taken flack for so long, maybe I've just become used to it, so I may as well continue. So even though they say you don't have to update older books, I decided that I wanted to because I want to declare my usage. I already have, but now I can do it officially. So I went back into my older books and added that section. One of the reasons is I want to show Amazon... Because this is, if you imagine their algorithm, there's not some person sitting there going, oh, look, Joanna Penn's doing this. No, it's a big algorithm. (laughs) So I want to show that algorithm that authors who use AI tools can write great books and please readers and get great reviews. So it's important to me to label these things so that uh, they... You know, and I think all those brilliant authors, and I know there's thousands of you now, um, maybe you're not all listening, but I know there's a lot of people listening who use AI tools. Well, let us teach the algorithm that authors who use these tools are doing really well. Um, obviously, there are a group of people who are not doing this in a sort of real author sense, but there are always scammers and spammers and people trying to cheat the system. And this is aimed at them. This is not aimed at us. So what do I expect to happen? So first of all, as I said before, Amazon AWS, which is a big chunk of at the Amazon company. I mean, it's huge. It's, it's a big money maker for Amazon. They sell AI as a service. 
through Bedrock. And they have their own language model and they also license Claude, the model I'm now using primarily, which you can access at claude.ai or through po.com, P-O-E.com, if you're outside the US and the UK. So on August the 4th, 2023, Andy Jassy, Amazon's CEO, said... Every single one of Amazon's businesses has multiple generative AI initiatives going right now. He said, AI is going to be at the heart of what we do. It's a significant investment and focus for us. So Amazon will not ban accounts for authors using AI tools in general. They're not going to go in and just say, right, anyone who's clicked any of these buttons is now out. I just can't see that happening, especially if the author is pleasing readers. And the placement of the new section to me is very telling on the help page. So they've added it to this page and they could have added it to the bottom as it's new. Generally, if you add a new one, it goes at the bottom or at the top. But they placed it in the middle between offensive content and poor customer experience, which are other things. They do not want offensive content. They do not want a poor customer experience. So if you're using AI tools to create offensive content or a poor customer experience, they can pin you on those. And that's what I think will happen. So if authors do upload, uh, you know, say someone just mass uploads books that are generated with AI and the customer it complains or there's no sales at all, then an author might be banned or the book removed or whatever. But I am, I literally have, well, I'm 99.99999% sure that this is not going to result in some mass banning. And thus, I am not afraid to label my work. I have done it since the beginning. I also think hiding it is a bad idea because they clearly say this is a requirement of publishing We require you to inform us of AI-generated content, text, images or translations when you publish a new book or make edits to and republish an existing book. So we require you to inform us. That is where people might go wrong. So if you upload a book and you don't inform them, then that is breaching the terms and conditions. So for me, honesty is as ever the best policy. And I am happy about the labelling. I have no issue about it. And I'm sure some people will have a go at me. But as ever, I also have no issue with Kickstarter's new rules around it. Again, I already include all of these things. So um, I think a lot of this may be relaxed over time as pretty much everyone will be using tools with AI in them. For example, as I discussed with Damon Freeman uh, in the AI for book cover images. Now, Photoshop, Shutterstock, uh, so many of these tools, Canva, all these tools have AI in. I don't see how a cover designer could manage to do a cover without AI in the next six months to a year. It'll just be everywhere. So yeah, I may be wrong, of course, (laughs) but I'll let you know if something happens to my Amazon account. In the meantime, I shall just carry on being open and honest and I encourage you to be too. So in personal news, writing the shadow went to my editor, Kristen, and I've been working on a load of admin things. I 
just left well I basically for the month of August anything that wasn't urgent I just pushed (laughs) and I've been doing all the things I've pushed including lots of email and all kinds of admin tasks that I just you know just ditched and that's it I guess a recommendation if you are trying to hit a deadline or you just need to finish that draft then just clear your plate of everything you possibly can push it all out um I worked literally up to the deadline of getting it to Kristen and I'm normally a lot earlier so this one this one has been tough but um and I edited it myself full book several times which is far more than I usually do um I have quite a lot of self-doubt around this book but I think you're going to find it useful uh so yes one big thing in admin one of the things I'm doing is if you're with Ingram Spark and you have your discount below 40% in the US, you need to update your discount to 40% before sometime in October, because otherwise your books will stop being distributed. So it is painful because you have to do it on every single book. And I have a lot of books and a lot of formats. um, So I'm getting a little bit of RSI, but I'm doing trying to do a bit every day. Now, some people say just pay someone else to do it. Well, the other thing I'm doing is checking the prices for inflation. Because what I found is that some of the prices need to go up, not just the discounts, but also the prices. With paper costs, with inflation, I found that I'm not making enough money on those books. And I'm uh, one of those authors who likes to make money with every book sale. So yeah, I am updating the discount, but I'm also updating the prices. Painful, but necessary. So add that to your list if you are with Ingram Spark. Now, also interesting, I thought I'd share with you around the, the Kickstarter is that One of the biggest risks with a Kickstarter and doing books and heavy objects is the shipping cost per region. And you can only get the shipping cost if you know the weight of the book and the size of the book. And because I am doing this on quite a small timeline, a short timeline, I have decided to do a prototype as far as possible because the book is like 90%. I need to do the final edits, but it's about 90%. I know what it's going to be. So I'm building that and going to get a test print in order to get the final weight to do the shipping and also to do some photos for the campaign. So yeah, if you are interested in the Kickstarter, Writing the Shadow, you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book to sign up to be notified. And as ever, it really helps if you do sign up for the pre-launch of anyone's Kickstarter. If you hear anyone doing one, signing up for the pre-launch really helps us. Um, And even if you don't want the actual product, you can have a look at how the campaign works. You can have a look at what we're doing. And it really helps that algorithm if I fund quickly. And basically, if you sign up for the pre-launch, then you get an email as soon as I click launch. So I also want to point you at another Kickstarter this week, which I backed. If you, I mean, you're listening to this, you're a writer, you're a bibliophile, you love books, right? And there was a catnip Kickstarter this week. It's called A Thousand Libraries, The Most Beautiful Book Places in the World. And I saw this and I was like, bing, I want that. Absolutely. So it's offering a gorgeous hardback with full colour photos, which is the kind of book I want to be moving towards in the coming years. Although that's not appropriate for writing the shadow. Writing the shadows, um, you know, like my other self-help books for authors, but it, it will be a 
lovely hardback, but it won't have full colour photos of a thousand libraries. So yes, even if you don't want the book, go and have a look at the campaign. It is amazing. Very, very professional campaign. Uh, So this is a thousand libraries, the most beautiful book places in the world. I'll link to it in the show notes. I have bought it uh, and it's out of Australia. And I think I paid 110 Aussie dollars, which is about I don't know, £60-ish. So what is that? About 80 US dollars, 85 US dollars. But essentially, and that you might think, oh, well, that's expensive for a book. But I do buy beautiful hardback image books for premium prices. And so this will be one of those. But you can go for, you know, just have a look at the campaign. And I think this is another tip if you want to do campaigns is to have a look at other people's and get some ideas for how you can make yours even better. I mean, the guy, uh, I can't remember his name, but his video is really pro. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mine will not be that pro. Mine will just be me talking. But um, yeah, anyway, you can still sign up for mine, thecreativepen.com forward slash shadowbook. So thanks for your emails and comments. Thanks to Patricia, who sent me a lovely picture of a gravestone from Montparnasse in Paris, France. Uh, She said, we'd just been to a resistance museum, went to rest our feet in the cemetery, and we were opposite the grave of a resistant. Very, very cool. And I'm actually speaking in Paris in October on AI at the Conference for Independent Authors and uh, really looking forward to that. I haven't been to Paris for years, so I'm looking, just really looking forward to that. Uh, Also, uh, Torna said on YouTube... On Holger's interview about thinking differently, I see mini movies first and then translate them into drawings and then into words for everything except dialogue, which I hear. (laughs) I really enjoyed this episode and that sounds very cool. I mean, it's so interesting to hear how people are translating words into images and even I never, ever hear people speaking in that way. My mum does. My mum hears dialogue and obviously Torna does. And it's actually very common for writers. And I don't I don't think it's a sort of a hearing voices scary thing. It's actually a sort of dare I say channeling way. I don't know. I don't do it myself, but very interesting that people do that. Also Judy left a comment on Holger's episode, one of the best episodes. So much to think about. Wow, that is uh, that is praise, Holger. I know you're probably listening, um, but it was. It's great. Really made me think too. And CD Invictus said on Damon's interview on AI book for book covers, thank you for being one of the few prolific or any author talking about AI in such a sincere way. As an author and prior illustrator, I am so excited for this paradigm shift. What a world we live in. I just published my fourth book and it also featured an AI cover. Totally in love with it. Absolutely. I totally agree. It is a very exciting world we live in and uh, we are amplified by these tools. I certainly feel amplified and excited about the next 15 years because of what we have. So you can leave a comment on the podcast show notes at thecreativepen.com or on the YouTube channel. You can also X me, message me on X at The Creative Pen, which is once again my main social media platform. Or email me, send me pictures of where you're listening, joanna at thecreativepen.com. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So this episode is sponsored by Drafter Digital and I'll play a message from Kevin Tumlinson in a minute. 
I use Draft Digital to distribute my ebooks to libraries, to Nook, and to various other ebook services. You can use it for everything as well. Uh, you can also use the payment splitting, which I use for my co written book, The Relaxed Author with Mark Leslie Lefebvre. And also, they have a wonderful human help desk. So, if you need help self publishing to any store, they're a great choice. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons, especially the extra in-between episodes like the uh, AI book cover design. And I'm especially grateful to those patrons who've been supporting for years and months. You are amazing. Thanks also to new and returning patrons this week. Anne Seidel, Kristin Oakley, Daniela Schlecker, Barbara Raymond, Nicole Allen, Tyora Moody, Mary Desch, and Jerry Byrne. Now, if you support the show on Patreon, you're getting lots of extra things now. I am starting to uh, talk more to my patrons. For example, I, I told them about the thing that was happening on Amazon early and uh, essentially talked a bit about that. You get behind the scenes stuff, you get the extra monthly Q&A for patrons only, which is essentially another podcast episode. And uh, if you're coming to 20 Books Vegas, we're having a patron meetup. And I've uh, done things like videos on Midjourney and how I use Claude and that kind of thing. So if you support the show for just a few dollars, a, a coffee a month or a couple of coffees a month. If you're feeling generous, you'll get lots of behind the scenes patron stuff. And I'm planning to do much more with patrons. So you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, here's a word from Draft to Digital, and then we'll get on with the interview. Hi, this is Kevin Tomlinson with Draft to Digital. Let's talk great couples. Rachel and Ross, Buffy and Angel, Lois and Clark, don't you just love it when two of your favorites get together? We do. And that's why we were so excited when Draft2Digital and Smashwords came together like two kids in a TV rom-com. We just had so much in common. Both companies were built by authors for authors. Both offer authors a way to format and publish their books worldwide for free. And both are dedicated to helping all your author dreams come true. Could be the greatest love story of all time. And I'm talking about us and you here. Come see what the new Draft to Digital is cooking up for you. Find more at ddd.tips slash creative pen. That's pen with two N's. Joanne Phillips is the author of 14 books, including romantic comedy, literary fiction, mysteries, and self-help books. She's also the scriptwriter, showrunner, and executive producer for Gravy Tree Media, specializing in audio drama, with everyone's happy out now. So welcome to the show, Joe. Hi, Joe. It's great to be here. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic because it's so interesting. But first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing and publishing. Yeah, so I've always written and made up stories like most writers, really. I can't remember a time when I wasn't writing and creating narratives. I think it's how I make sense of the world. It's how I escaped. That sounds terrible. No, how not I, at all. <laughs> how I kept myself company, I think, as a as a child. So yeah, my first novel took about six years to finish. I got a bit quicker as time went on. And then I began publishing chapters of it on a blog back in, I think, about 2011. 
And then some people seemed to like it, which was nice. So early in 2012, after I got my first Kindle and read about self-publishing in the writer's magazines that I used to buy, I decided to take the plunge. And that first book was Can't Live Without. Um, That was a rom-com. It did quite well back then because that was when you could get a massive boost after going free for just a few days. Remember those days Mm. back then? Um, So yeah, I just carried on self-publishing and that's how I got into it. So you talk there about the writing side and a bit about self-publishing, but you must have been interested in audio as well. So how did that come about and did you do that for a job or something? No, no, I just really, really had an interest in it. I love audio drama and I always listened to it, but I never considered that I could write it. I think I did um, back in my 30s, I did have a stab at writing a script for a competition and it didn't get anywhere and it wasn't very good. So it wasn't really on my radar at the time. It was only very recently that I considered that I might be able to have a go at that. I just sort of thought of myself more as a writer of books for a long, long time. Hmm. Oh, well, that's encouraging. But let's just be clear about some definitions. So what is audio drama versus an audio book or a podcast? Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? And to me, an audio book is when a book is just read out loud by an actor or a voiceover artist or the author, and that's it. And sometimes there are effects or music added, but you can tell it's a book. So say, and I've been thinking about this, about how to describe it, because it is a distinction that's quite difficult to make. So say it might sound like this. Jane walked off the elevator and saw Martin's dead body on the floor. I mean, it would sound better than that if somebody professional was actually (laughs) doing it. (laughs) But you can tell that it's a book. But in an audio drama or fiction podcast, because they are, they're the same thing. It's just different terms for the same thing, is where there are actors. I mean, sometimes only one actor, to be fair or two, or sometimes like in mine, I think I got, I ended up with nine and some walk-on parts, which was far too many to start off with, but we'll come to that. And there's a script and you can hear the action unfolding with dialogue and sound effects. So for example, in my example, I just made then with Jane and Martin, you'd hear the elevator stop and the doors opening and Jane's footsteps. And you might hear her cry out and maybe say something like, Oh no, Martin's been shot. I mean, not that, but something <laughs> or she like might that. just say, "Oh no, Martin," and like, yeah, exactly. And then we might hear her footsteps running over yeah, or something. You've you've got it completely. So it's more similar to TV and film, but without the pictures. Except you see the pictures in your head because your brain creates them from what you're hearing. So, because I always say, I mean, I've got this little kind of motto now, which is the pictures in your head are better than TV. Because I think that with really, really good audio drama, you, you because you've got the actors who are bringing the script to life and you've got the sound effects and it's creating it, you create it in your mind. Whereas with TV and film, somebody else is making that for you to sit passively and look at. And it's somebody else's idea of what it looks like. Whereas you, our imaginations are amazing. So with audio drama, and like I say, I've been a fan of audio drama for years, and I've listened to some really great audio drama from BBC um, and other producers like Q Code and and Gimlet in the early days. Oh, it's it's amazing! It's such an amazing immersive experience. Whereas audio books, although they are brilliant, there's a remove. So there's you, there's the story, and there's somebody reading the story to you. 
So it's more like being read to, whereas with audio drama, you're there experiencing it. I think that's the main difference for me. Absolutely. And it's funny, I have listened to some audio dramas and not that many fiction audiobooks. I mainly listen to non-fiction audiobooks, but it's funny with the audio dramas, sometimes they have really famous actors and it's like, I I almost don't want them to be famous um, yeah. when I hear their voice because I associate that voice with what they played on TV. <laughs> so I almost like it when the actors are more unknown or they're more of a voice actor than a visual actor. You know what I mean? It kind of I puts know exactly them in your you head mean. otherwise. Yeah. Although I think, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I think it can really help a production, you know, get some ears on it if you have a famous actor. But yeah. Yeah, it goes it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because you will picture that that character in your head. And if you recognize the voice, you immediately picture that person or the last character that you saw them play in a TV mm. program. But if it's an unknown, you won't you won't do that. Yeah, it's really interesting. So then tell us why did you decide to get into audio drama and tell us about everyone's happy. Yeah. So, well, okay, everyone's happy. It's a dystopian sci-fi. And it is set about 50 years into the future, I would say. And we're controlled by the happiness program, which is a government mandated system where all our negative emotions are eliminated. And the protagonist is a teenager called Parker. And she lives in the dome. um, She lives in a dome covered city and is struggling with her emotions, which, of course, she shouldn't be. She has a set of these old school tapes that her grandma left her. And it sets her off on a journey to discover the truth. So there are themes of climate change, the nanny state, and really whether we should all be medicated into happiness and what the consequences of that would be. So that's everyone's happy in a nutshell, really. And the reason I got into it, like I was saying a bit earlier, that I love audio drama. I've been listening to it for over 30 years. I had the idea for everyone's happy a while ago. I struggle with mental health myself. I have bipolar disorder and I was just really fascinated with this idea that we could be medicated into everything being fine and what that might be like. And, you know, as a writer yourself, you know how you kind of like to take these ideas to their their limits and think where it would go. And at first I thought this would be a YA book, but I don't write YA. I know I write in lots of different genres, but I didn't feel that I could do this. But then, yeah, how I got into audio drama, it was kind of a a longer process. My partner that I'm with, um, we've been together a couple of years now. Now he works in TV. He's a sound recordist. And it didn't become immediately obvious that he'd be useful that sounds so mercenary (laughs) (laughs) no I respect that (laughs) thank you um but yeah but we obviously both have an interest in sound and audio and I began to think oh maybe podcasting something like that could help at first I might I thought I might he could help me do a podcast but I didn't immediately think of fiction and then serendipitously I saw an advert last year for a course on writing fiction podcasts with Helen Cross, who has written lots for Radio 4. So I took the course. It was brilliant. I can't recommend it enough. She runs them throughout the year. And by the time I started it, though, in September last year, I had already decided that I was going to produce this audio drama myself because I'm just indie through and through. Mm -hmm. So I just started it. Yeah, I just 
just threw myself into it headfirst and yeah don't know where I've quite got the energy from but I just did it as you do (laughs) so did you write it as a book first and then adapt it or did you write this as audio because of course like you said you have to put in sound effects and you write it in a different format more like a, a script a screenplay rather than a book format so how did you go about actually writing it and adapting it yeah, so no, I didn't write it as a, a book first. And I have thought about maybe writing it as a book one day, but it would be a big thing to do. I've never written a sci-fi book. So this just was a, for a script straight off. Um, yeah, kind of will break down the process. And I made lots and lots of mistakes in this process, which was great because that means I've learned from them and other people can too. Uh, yeah, so first off, you, you need the script. And like I said, I did this course and Helen was a a brilliant teacher. I learned all about one thing you need to understand, I think, if you're going to jump into writing an audio drama as a writer, is that writing a script for audio is very different than writing for TV or writing a novel. You really have to think about dialogue and about how people speak and making the sound very natural. Because I thought, yeah, I'm good at that. And I read my work out loud when I edit. So it's easy. But Hearing actors read your lines is completely different. Mm, I mean, it's it's, kind of cringy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, well, it is if it's not good dialogue, Mm. but it's great if it is good dialogue. And because one thing I'm going off off the topic here now, but one thing I did do, because I I directed it too, and I've never directed anything before, obviously. But I found that when we went into the recording studio, um, because one thing you really have to make sure that each character has their own voice. And that's not just an accent. You've got to make sure that when you're writing it, they speak in their voice and not yours as the writer. So you've got to think about the language that that character uses and not make them all sound the same. So one thing I did that when we went and when we started on the recording day, was I said to each individual actor, I said, read, read it. And if you feel that your character wouldn't say it exactly like that, if you feel that they would say it slightly differently if you want to change your word here and there. As long as it doesn't affect the story, then then go with that. Or say to me, I don't think that Ben, say, or Grandma would do it like this. And in fact, the, the actor who played Grandma, she did come to me and say, in some of the scenes, you've got her saying, my dear. In some of them, you've got her just saying, dear. In some of the scenes, you've got her saying this. And is it okay if I just do it like this? And I was like, yeah, I don't really Mm. care. Just do it however you want, as long as it sounds right. And I, and I really liked that. It felt like a collaboration. And uh, yeah, so there were other times too, when I felt that the actors really felt quite free to interpret it how they wanted to. And the good thing is, is that that made it sound realistic. They didn't have to be glued to what was written on the page. They could just say it. Yeah, that's that. super useful. So how did you find actors? Yeah, well, that was the next thing, really. After you've done the script, you need to get you need to cast your actors. So I found mine on backstage. I did a casting call. So I researched how to do a casting call just by looking at loads and loads of other ones. And I also found some from a local acting school because I thought it would be nice to have a mix of professional actors and amateur actors. The lead actor that I have who plays Parker I didn't open cast her I just hunted her down that sounds awful (laughs) no I I I chose her I listened to loads and loads of people on them 
websites that had different voice actors and then approached her and asked her if she'd do it because I needed somebody who I felt was really, really right for that role. But everyone else auditioned for the roles via casting calls. And I think here's some other good advice. I think the mix of voices is so important. I needed Parker's family to sound like they fitted together. But when you have people of a similar age as well, they have the listener has to be able to distinguish them from each other by ear. And that's and it's a difficult thing you've got to get. You have to have them sounding right together and sounding like they fit. But at the same time, when you're listening to audio drama, they can't all sound the same. And I think, um, yeah, and all of my characters are from the north of England. Well, most of the characters are in the north of England, but I also needed them to sound different. So that was a tricky one. And I wanted, I also wanted to be really inclusive and diverse. I made a point of this in the casting call, but it's also hard to show this in audio drama because it's not a visual thing. (laughs) Yeah. And also age is really interesting because I didn't really understand how much age is in a voice, but Mm. even someone in their early 20s versus early 30s can sound different, let alone someone in their early 20s versus in their 70s, for example. So there's so many variables with voices. I did want to ask on this in terms of paying actors because, I mean, you mentioned there was a lead character, so that character would get the most audio time, but -hmm. some people might only play a bit part. So what can people expect in terms of paying? I mean, you don't have to tell us exactly if you don't want to, but is it by the minute or how are actors paid for this work? Yeah, so I put, we paid everybody. And I was very, very upfront about the fact that we're a small indie startup. Yeah, the lead character did get paid the most because she did the most work. I negotiated that with her upfront. And then everyone else had a flat fee, which was based upon how much time they basically had. I kind of worked it out like how much time they would have to do in terms of work. So how much recording time. But it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't kind of a wildly different. So say there was like the lead character and then say maybe five secondary characters and then some small, smaller characters. Um yeah, so everybody, I mean, there weren't huge sums, but it was because I was open about it to start off with. The people who put themselves forward, I assumed that they were happy with those fees. And then the other thing that I offered, which I think if you are, if you're going to go into this as a small production company who can't offer big fees to, to actors, um, what I added on was the IMDb listing. So that obviously helps because it goes towards their credits and if you're an actor who wants to get a spotlight listing then having that credit really helps interesting so yeah you can so, list on imdb if you do an audio drama because you can't you can. if you just have a podcast right no no i don't know actually but i know that for an audio drama you can now and it's a lot of work so i committed to doing that right for everybody and also that um i'll give i would make sure that i gave them all a really good quality voice reel that they could use um so you know I it's bet just they love you <laughs> <laughs> i hope so <laughs> and i'm going to do everything i can to make it a, a success if i possibly can which in the future will hopefully help them get extra work and we feel like a family now it's really really nice there was a virtual launch party 
and it was just so nice to see everyone again and yeah it's just it's really it's really lovely they've been very very supportive and I feel that they're proud I feel that they're proud to be part of it so that's a really nice thing Mm, it is a brilliant creative project but let's carry on with the yes difficulties so you've got these actors you've got a script and then you Mm -hmm. did mention a studio now I didn't expect you to be bringing people into a studio I thought everyone would just record their bits away from each other and send them in but explain the process of actually creating the raw audio yeah so we were really really lucky to have a studio fairly locally it was Orchard Studios it's just up the road and we did actually two days there two separate days because we couldn't get all of the actors in on the same day who live fairly locally which was just as well actually because we did one full day and we did about 50 scenes in that day and then Mm. we did another 50 scenes the second day so and it was exhausting for everyone so yeah that that was amazing and as I said my partner is a sound recordist so he was there to set everything up and he's got all the equipment all the professional microphones and that that was it it was really really lovely I think the actors got uh got a real vibe out of being able to record in the same space because they can read the lines but they can bounce off each other in that scene Mm. although from an editing point of view I have to say and me and Mick that's my partner we discussed this at length beforehand he had this imaginary thing where we would have everyone in a separate room and record them and I was like well that's never going to happen is it because we don't have that kind of studio set up the recordings that we did remotely on Riverside have been easier for me to edit the dialogue Whereas the recordings that we did, everyone in the same room, have been harder to record the dialogue because you do get microphone bleed. Yeah. And we kind of, and what we had to do is we had to get everyone to leave a bit of a gap in between them speaking because obviously, so they can react, but in a sense they can't because if they ran over each other's words, I can't get my scissors in there to cut. <laughs> yeah, which is why recording it remotely, as you say, is much easier. Mm, <laughs> so exactly. that is there are again, there are pros and cons with every creative decision, which I think is is really useful. Okay, so you've got now we've got some raw audio. And as again, you mentioned your partner is very good at sound. So let's assume it's quite good quality audio. Is, yeah. What happens next? Because this is the <laughs> bit that I think is kind of crazy, is the editing for this. Yeah. I had a massive, massive learning curve and <laughs> mental breakdown. No, maybe just the learning curve. Um so I then um edited the dialogue basically in audacity which is free I had to learn how to do that and um yeah I mean we had oh my goodness Um, so think of this picture this in your head there are some of the scenes I've got recordings that happened on one day mixed in with recordings that happened on another day because some of the actors couldn't be there on the same day then I've also got recordings that were done remotely because the main character Parker there's kind of like a voiceover because there's thoughts in her head that we Mm, recorded separately Mm. yeah exactly then there's also a couple of walk-on roles that I had dialed in from other people so there's a lot of different things to kind of pull together so what I did was I sat down and I have all these things I've oh and of course there's pickups because there would be things that didn't go right on that first read through that I'd have to get them to do again so I, I pull all this into audacity and then I have my script on a different screen and then just basically just start to listen to it and then cut it and 
work through the script, bring it all together. And what I found fascinating though, Joe, was that as a writer, I actually did a little bit of editing of the dialogue and the script in that sense of I moved stuff around and cut bits out. You know, even at that stage, I was I thought it would all be done by then. I was relieved. I thought, right, the script is finished. I can't do a thing to it now. It's done. It's recorded. It's finished. No more messing about with this flipping script. But in fact, even at that point, I was thinking, oh, now I wonder mm, if she doesn't say that then, but says that a bit further on. Or, oh, no, I don't think that that doesn't work there. That bit is that's a bit long, that scene there. I'm going to cut that. So I was still move. I was still editing this even at this point. So I think even though a lot of people might say, well, the writer's job is done here, send this dialogue off to be edited by someone else. I think it's quite good for the writer to learn how to do this part because I I did a lot there at, at that stage. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, even, why, when I record my own audiobooks, I'm often, I often republish another version afterwards, even if it's just small bits and bobs, because I always find something when it's the actual making of the product that I need to fix. But just on that, because I can visualize it because I'm, I do sound, obviously. So you have, a big screen and you've got all these different sound waves, uh, sound wave files on mm-hmm. the screen and you're kind of dragging them around and cutting them. And what about the sound effects? Because they have to go in there too. So tell us, where do you get your sound effects from? Because I imagine they're royalty free. And then how are you bringing those in as well? Well, I don't do that part. So oh, I originally okay. thought that I was going to do that, but I, then I realized that that would, no, I thought if I did that, it just wouldn't really sound as good because I I think eventually maybe I would like to be able to learn that. But I found a fantastic sound designer called Zoran Nikolic. I've pronounced his name right, I hope. And he's in Serbia. And so what I do is as soon as I've cut the dialogue, I then save each person as a separate file and then I send it to him. What I do do is a really, really detailed production script at that point where I go through it and at each place where it needs sound, I will say, I want this here, these people walking, this bit, and and I'll make really, really detailed notes about how I want it to sound and then I send it to him and then he will put sound effects in each scene, send it back, and then I might say, I want that a little bit later or that's not quite right. Can you do a little bit more like this? And then he'll send it back. And then so we work together on that until it's done. So thankfully. Where did you you find him? On Fiverr. Oh, on Fiverr. Fantastic. I know. So lucky. Yeah. I mean, and so you searched for sound designer. Oh, it was hard, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. There's not many on there. Yes. And interestingly, he's mainly was doing just like, I think, editing people's podcasts, mainly normal podcasts, what what I call like topic-based podcasts. Yeah, like this one with no sound effects. (laughs) Exactly. But he has a background in Serbian radio, radio drama. So by going through... I would say maybe 30 different profiles. I eventually found him by looking at all the other stuff that he has done in the long, in the past. So, Mm. yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you send everything off to him. He does his thing. It comes back to you. What next? Then um, I record the 
little bit that goes at the beginning. Although the actually the intro comes after the first scene because I really really want to mimic TV series. I want to mimic the, the Netflix series feel where you have a little intro scene, then the opening credits come in, then it carries on to the rest. So I send him the opening credits, the finishing credits. He packages it all up, puts the transitions in. Now I was absolutely fascinated by what a difference that makes so the transitions are the little bits in between the scenes it could just be a a bit of music it could just be like a I don't know just the sound just a sound just like the sound of air I don't know just something he does this magic with it that makes it sound amazing and then sends it back and then of course then it's the uploading it I'm using Acast I ended up using Acast mainly because it's free and I really really need to keep my costs down and that's it. <laughs> I think it's kind of. <laughs> I mean, it is. So, in terms of the time for this project, because as we record this, the first couple of two. episodes. Yeah, the first two are out. Are out. Yeah. Where, by the time this goes out, then maybe how many episodes are there? Eight. So, I think by the time this goes out, there will be four. I think we'll be okay. halfway through. Right. So, um, that's everyone's happy, which you should be able to find on any. Yes, podcast it's available apps. everywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, wherever you're listening to this. <laughs> but how much time then did this project take you? All my time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but was it like three years? Was it six oh, months? Oh, no, no. It's it's been a year. I would say probably right. maybe six six months of early developing, where you're kind of thinking about it, making little notes while you're doing everything else, and then pretty much full on. Because in my day job that earns me money, I do indexing. I work as a back-of-the-book indexer freelance. But the rest of my time, which is pretty much all of my time for the last year, has been focused on this. Right. And you mentioned you had to keep your costs down. So this is another question because, I mean, I love this as a creative project. It's something that I've tiptoed towards several times and backed away from. (laughs) I have adapted a number of my books into screenplays, but when you learn about, I mean, in terms of budgets, doing an audio drama is much more expensive than doing an indie audiobook but it is equally not as expensive as trying to do a tv show or a film Mm. so in a way it's much more accessible and also like you said with sound effects you can achieve with sound effects very cheaply what you what takes a lot more to develop on visually so I think it's really interesting but you've mentioned the time can you give us any indication of cost or is it that you bootstrapped and it was mainly the time cost involved Yeah, no, I mean, I can give you an indication of costs because I did a Kickstarter and I think I set the goal for the Kickstarter at about £1,600. Now, the reason for that target was because I thought that's what I could achieve because obviously on Kickstarter, it's it's an all or nothing deal, isn't it, on Mm, Kickstarter? Um, But, and I barely made it, to be honest, because I haven't really got that much reach and my friends and family really, really helped. But it's been, I would probably say it's cost three times that. And that's included, obviously, actors' fees, sound design costs, all the other, you know, that's probably included paying for the website, all the other little extra things. Yeah, so let's say between 8,000 to 10,000 US dollars, yeah, without, I would say without that. including your time without or including your my partner's time. time. 
Oh yeah, flipping neck. If you added in mixed cost because <laughs> of how much he charges, yeah, he gave his his time for free. But you well, don't need that. I mean, you don't need to have a professional TV sound recorders there at the studio. You could have could have done it all on Riverside or something else. Well, let's talk about that because the big question that I think comes up for people now is maybe we could use some human actors and also some AI voices or AI yeah. effects. So I. And obviously, I I narrate my books, you're supporting actors, we want there to be a vibrant community of human actors. But also, (laughs) let's talk about AI. What are your thoughts on this in terms of using AI tools and voices for the production process, or at least part of the production process? Well, I did. I did use some AI. I mean, there's some in-show artwork that I'll be using for promotion, some posters that are seen inside the dome. So I thought it would be cool to have those posters made real. And I used Dali to design the original face for that. So I've made the posters on that. The voice actually that announces the episodes at the beginning is AI generated from play.ht, I think Mm -hmm. it is. Um, and there's another AI voiced character in a later episode. I think it's the, I think it's a guard. I think that comes in in maybe episode six. And I just couldn't find anybody to do the walk on part. It's only like two lines. And I'd already, the poor actors, I'd already got them to voice so many extra walk on parts. Because that's the other thing, another little bit of advice don't write too many extra walk on parts. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're the ones that you'll find yourself not being able to get anyone to voice. So when I went into Descript and I just used their their text to voice to just get that voiced and it's fine. I think it works. Okay. Um I've used chat GPT to help with descriptions and marketing ideas. I'm hoping to delve a bit deeper into how AI can help with the production process when I've got a bit more time because mm. I'm really, really frazzled and tired and doing this alone is exhausting, you know. So obviously I want, as I've demonstrated, I think, I've given jobs to nine actors and I think I had three extras as well. And your you know. sound sound guy. Yes. Um, sound and designer. myself. Yeah, yeah, yes, of course. And yeah, obviously I'm going to, and I'm going to carry on doing that. I have lots of other ones in development but I do also think that there's a place for AI tools to help where they're appropriate. Mm. Yeah. And also, I, I feel that it will, if you bring down the cost of production in general, then there will be more content. And that should also bring more work to humans who are doing acting jobs and it's unlikely people are going to do like 100% AI production but it may be Mm. as you said there might be some main characters that are human and then other voices that are AI or effects or so that's how we want people to think about it also there's some great tools some mastering tools I don't know you mean you've got your partner who does the the sound and that designer but like I've used Hindenburg for my audiobooks which is fantastic mastering and I use Orphonic for my podcast audio Uh mastering so these are both ai mastering tools and i did used to pay a human to master my audio and now it's just a kind of a one click and for people listening i'll put links to all of these tools in the show notes because i think people will find that interesting so i want to come back on a couple of things (laughs) first of all so you're using acast it's out there now it is a podcast it is free people can go listen to that so what the hell is the business model (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, people have been asking me this all year now. Um, Yeah, what is the business model? Well, there isn't any 
direct money making of, of it, obviously. At the moment, I have got a Patreon page for trickling money, as I like to call it, if there are fans one day. And that has got a lot of cool extra stuff on there. I have a long-term goal. Everybody has a long-term goal. My long-term goal is to keep creating content, to keep creating great IP, and to one day sell something to Netflix or to Amazon Prime and have it made into a TV show. There, I've said it. (laughs) Right, No, that's fantastic. So you're seeing it as a, almost like a billboard for your creative work. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And meanwhile, just focus on making great audio dramas that people love listening to because the thing is I I love doing this I really really have enjoyed it I mean it's funny really isn't it because it's been stressful and it's been on the edge of your seat terrifying sometimes there've been there was one moment when I sent the script to the actors and I was nearly sick I really was. I it was awful actually because I was why, so why was worried. that? Was that fear of them hating it? Or... Yes, it right. was. I felt so exposed. It was the first time I'd sent it to anyone, first time I'd shown it to anyone, my first ever script. And I thought, what if it's absolute rubbish? And I it was, yeah, that that was awful. And then obviously when I uploaded the first episode and that went out, I was also I was that wasn't quite so bad. But there are moments when it's, but those are the moments that you feel alive, aren't they? You have to push yourself to do this stuff. I I love this. And I really am quite proud of what I've made. No, and I think so, that, that's great. So I think, yeah, understanding that this is a labor of love at the moment. Yeah, it is. Um, but you have these bigger plans. And also, I mean, I do think that turning that into, if you turn that into a book, then that is a way to use that IP in other ways. I mean, I presume you can license things. So this would be another question, which is if someone listening is like, oh my goodness, that sounds like way too much work, but I would like to license my book or or write a script and license a script without doing the production. Do you have any tips if people just want to license to other audio drama places? I don't know, really. I mean, I, I'm not licensing it and I'm not 100% sure how that works. I do see platforms like Fable and Folly and Rusty Quill and even Realm absorbing other podcasts. And that's interesting. I know that they only take on podcasts that already have a good listenership. So I, I don't really know how they work. I am because my production company that I set up, uh, Gravy Tree Media, I will I will be looking to buy other IP as in buy scripts and produce them. So that is something that I'm going to be interested in doing next year. But I don't know, I don't really know how licensing it would work, to be honest. That is interesting. Mm. Um, Right. So let's also just talk a bit about marketing, because like you said, it's an audio podcast and having podcast fiction on all the platforms. I mean, it has to be discovered in some way. Hopefully some people will go over and have a listen from this show. But how are you marketing it particularly? Yeah, I don't know that I am yet, really. I've been so focused on making the audio drama and getting it out that I'm only just now thinking seriously about marketing. I've always had the idea that as soon as all eight episodes are out, I'll switch into a different gear and perhaps try and find, I was thinking about finding a TikToker who would like to talk about it because, because as I said, the main character is a teenager. Um, so I was thinking, you know, trying to think of the target market although I don't really know that audio drama is a thing for teenagers that teenagers have discovered yet so that might not be 
the target audience, I really, really need to give some thought to that and maybe try and look at some paid advertising. But I tell you what I do think, though, Joe, I keep coming back to this question, right? I am an avid audio drama listener. So how do I find new ones to listen to? And I will think the answer is I just look at my Spotify app or Apple Podcasts and I just see what comes up. So how do I get mine on those also listen to lists? Do you search? Do you search on those apps? Sometimes. I don't know. I don't really think I do. I just think I just, I'm very passive and that's not good. I'm, I just, I'm very like, I've run out regularly because I listen all the time. I mean, I don't know how I find time to listen because I'm always working. So that makes it sound like I'm not, but I work from home. I always have one AirPod in. And then when that one runs out, I put the other one in and charge that one up. And so I, <laughs> so I just kind of like run out of things to listen to. And then I get my app and I, yeah, I look and scroll down and it tends to come up with because you enjoyed this, this one and yeah right well then okay i'm going to give you a tip around oh, this and Please everyone do. listening which is if you have an audio product market it with audio so i mean tiktok is a video platform mm. um but audio essentially what you're doing here we will hopefully some people are going to go from here into listening to that audio drama but also there are tons and tons of fiction podcasts and many of them allow either for free or you can pay to have an audio bumper or an ad but essentially a little clip like a 90 second teaser almost and so by having if you have fiction audio then be on fiction audio shows yes, essentially of so course, that the other thing sense. yeah the other thing you could do for example is write a spin-off short story and get that in audio because there's tons and tons of fiction audio podcasts that have short stories and then use the your main character or one of the spin-off characters and then at the end be like your call to action is you can listen to the whole story here so there are loads of things you could do with fiction audio in particular that will advertise this mm. um so yeah those are just some things to think but the thing is the only way those algorithms work it's like the same as amazon same as anything they're not going to serve up product that is not already moving yeah. so you have to get it moving somehow so that, that that would be some of my recommendations anyway yeah thank you that's really great so just circling back on the kickstarter you did say you didn't have many people but you did make it I um, and I was I, I was a backer you um, were thank you so much yeah Jen. well I, I know how big a deal it is <laughs> so any other lessons from Kickstarter since I know also that audio only is very hard to do and most people do audio as a sort of second tier against a print book at the moment so any lessons from the Kickstarter yeah, I don't know whether I got my page looking exactly right. I think I would look, I think I would spend a little bit more time. I mean, yours was amazing. Yours looked really good. You had some really good, I think you structured it just right. And yours got picked up as a, do they call it featured or? A, a books I love, but that was an algorithm thing based on this, the velocity of funding. Was it? Okay. Yeah. So I think I would just pay a little bit more attention perhaps next time if I do it again to other ones that people have done and make sure that I maybe break down within the body of the description what the tiers are because I kind of relied on the fact that people would go and look at the tiers and didn't maybe break them down as obviously in the actual body text but that's a small thing really I'm happy with the rewards that I offered although it has been difficult to fulfill the early access one which was a bit of a rookie error in that I didn't realize that 
it was going to take me so long to produce it. And I imagined that I would have kind of all eight episodes up and running before I was ready to launch so that I could give everybody those as early access. And as it's happened, everyone was just going to get early access to each episode a couple of days before. So it's just kind of little, little things really to maybe think through. I think you just, when you start a Kickstarter, the very nature of it is that it's before you've done it. So you can't really know. It's an it's an unknown. Um, yeah. yeah. So will you do use it again for the next one? Because you mentioned that you do have plans for more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely going to be a season two and a season three. I definitely ah. know how the how season three is going to end. I haven't thought beyond that yet. Um, I don't I would do crowdfunding again. I'm not sure if I would use Kickstarter because I found the all or nothing so stressful Mm. um so and I've seen other platforms now but then again you have to push yourself (laughs) I don't know (laughs) that's what I don't know I don't know well one of the benefits of if once you start using a platform is you can the people who funded your last one you can essentially tell them you've got a new one so it's kind of built in marketing for your next kickstarter so as we record this I've just put my page up for my next one and I will shortly be telling everyone who funded the last one about it and hopefully bringing some people over so I kind of see it as a separate ecosystem that we're Mm. almost building for the future for that so I think that's quite interesting so just one more question then you've obviously got these books in all these different genres but now you've got the audio drama so how do you see your plans ahead sort of splitting your time between writing actual books and doing audio drama yeah, that's a really, really good question. I actually joked to my boyfriend the other day that I might write a novel next as a rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which shows how incredibly crazy this has all been. No, I don't know. I haven't really missed writing books. I think it's been about a year since I wrote, maybe a year and a half since I wrote a normal novel. But I will, though, because I'm interested to see how writing a script and editing the dialogue and all of that that I've talked about might have changed my writing. So I am quite keen to get back to it, but I don't know how I'm going to split my time. I'll have to figure it out because right now I seem to be struggling to split my time between working, sleeping and being a person, a functioning person. I need to reread your book on productivity. Oh, I was going to say the healthy writer would be the one. No, the healthy writer is the one, isn't it? That's the one I need right now. Yeah, definitely. Both of those. I think I'll just listen to them. I'm not sure I'll have time to sit down and read. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a a good point. No, that's that's brilliant. And of course, you mentioned your mental health earlier on in the process. And I would urge you and obviously everyone listening, that's really important. And you can't spin off into difficult times with mental health because of a creative project I mean yeah you you will sometimes but let's try not to do that right (laughs) yeah yeah I know and that's the that's it's interesting actually as a person who has great bursts of creativity followed by perhaps lows that follow that yeah I should I should say that you must look after yourself yeah, and I, I should look after myself more. Yeah. yeah, be gentle with yourself there. And I think it's understanding these seasons of creativity as well. Like you said, as we record this, it's just going out. You're kind of finishing the production, and then maybe just take a rest. I mean, that what I like about these things is that people will be listening to this interview in years to come. Yeah. So it's not like, and maybe you'll have done some marketing by then, or maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I will. I will do marketing. I'm going to take up your ideas. They were great. 
But it is, I do love evergreen audio. I mean, people find this show and they listen to years back in the backlist. So I think that that's sort of encouraging you to think longer term about the IP. I think that's great. So where can people find you and everything you do online? Yeah, well, I think the best place to go to is to gravytreemedia.com because there's everything about the podcast there. And if you just look for Everyone's Happy, wherever you get your podcasts, then you'll find it. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Joe. That was great. Thanks for having me. So I hope you found the discussion with Joanne interesting and that you check out her audio drama, Everyone's Happy. So next week, I'm doing a solo show on lessons learned from 12 years as a full-time author entrepreneur. Now, I left my day job as an IT consultant in September 2011, and every year since on around the anniversary, I do a lessons learned. I've done them in text, uh, and I've also done them in audio over the years, but I will be doing a solo episode with lots of links. You can read or listen to the old episodes at thecreativepen.com forward slash timeline. And that also includes a whole load of other stuff. So you can see how that works. The beginning is like 2006. (laughs) So I like having a timeline. I think it's really good thing for us to reflect on the journey and how much things have changed. There's also some really, um, I guess, makes me feel a bit older, but some of the pictures from those early days, I look so young. (laughs) But there you go. Yep. So that's coming up next week. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.